0: Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Kona Morris.
1: Kona, if you do this, you will end up on the streets as a crack whore.
0: (laughs) That and more. But first, you know how much we love those little anecdotes that listeners like you send in have you got a surprising little story that comes in around four minutes especially if it might go well on our scary stories episode around halloween time or on our holiday stories episode in december just go to risk-show.com anecdotes to find out how to pitch it and hey i just want to quickly thank keith wall Catherine, Matthew Corral, and Olivia Mills, all of whom have recently joined our Patreon at the $25 or more level. You guys know how important it is now more than ever for our fans to come to our rescue and help keep risk running during this really tough period until we can get back on our feet later this year we appreciate all of you who have done so so far but for right now keith katherine matthew olivia thank you we'll be right back folks if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues june's journey objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance, there's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Now here's the show. Whoa! Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Vaughn On behind me now with a a very Vietnamese version of Ghost Riders in the Sky. We're calling this week's episode By Any Means, because we have two storytellers who were dead set on taking a risk, no matter the outcome. Hey, if you haven't heard my sketch comedy group, the state is reuniting one night only at the Paramount Theater in Denver, Colorado. That's August 30th. The state will be performing both classic sketches and new material too. So go to the-state.com for tickets. That's the-state.com. Now, in a little bit, we're going to hear from Kona Morris, a story she told at our L.A. show last February. But first, something really unusual. This is a story by Randall C. Vaya, also known as Red Onion Randy, who is an inmate at Wallens Ridge State Prison, a Supermax facility in Virginia, where he's serving... 1,214 years without parole for capital murder. Randy has been incarcerated for most of his life since he was 11 years old and has spent 18 years of that time in solitary confinement. Now, this story first aired on a podcast called Red Onion Randy that features stories told by Randy from prison over the phone. Randy experienced a great deal of abuse and neglect as a young child and then entered the system at a very young age and he begins this story in a juvenile detention facility which he described as basically just housing for troubled kids that the system had nowhere else to put. So, without further ado, here is Red Onion Randy with a story we call the cat and the convict.
2: I had gotten out of Beaumont the first time, which, if I remember correctly, was the year 1996, and I was in the attention home in Charlottesville, Virginia for my second time. I had been previously when I was uh, 11 years old. So there was this girl named Mary. Now, Mary was pretty. I mean, she had a pretty face on her. But my God, the body on that woman, or actually she was a girl at the time because she was a teenager, puts supermodels, bikini models, porn stars to shame unbelievable. I am not exaggerating in the slightest. So, I had flirted with her a little bit, but nothing really serious, nothing, you know, major or whatnot. And one night, I was in a little game room and I was shooting pool. And, uh, her and her roommate, Agnes, came in. And Mary pulled up on me and was like, hey, look, me and Agnes we want to leave. We want you to come with us. I'm like, nah, that ain't gonna happen. I only got a couple of months left before I get to go home, and I'm done with all this stuff. I'm putting all this stuff behind me. She was like, oh, come on, please, you know, I'll let you do stuff to me, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I ain't doing it. You, you know, I'm not leaving. I, I'm in a good place. I'm in a good position. It ain't happening. So she lifted her shirt up and she had 36 double D's. And after a mouthful of kit, I'm mumbling, all right, pack your stuff, let it go. I mean, it just is what it is. So she pulls her shirt down and they leave and I go upstairs and I pack a bag with some clothes and whatnot and I tell my roommate, yo, look, dude, I'm up out of here take whatever you want man it's yours I ain't coming back so I walk down the steps and I walk down the front and I see the counselor sitting in the office with the door open and they look up at me and they see that I got a bag full of clothes on like hold up what you doing I'm like wait a minute you got two hours before you're allowed to call the cops don't shit me for my time and I just walked out and I walked down the little driveway and up through the uh, there's like a little small teeny walkway alleyway between this brick wall and this house and that's where Mary and Agnes were and they had their stuff and I'm like all right yo look let's go so it's dark outside and we walk and we go down a couple of blocks and we come to this graveyard and so you know we stop there to pause and talk a little bit and You know, I start making out with Mary and, you know, I have her laid on the ground. I'm on top of her and I'm grinding on her and kissing her and everything. You know, things things are going well for me. And, you know, all of a sudden, we see flashlights. And uh, we look up and we see a couple of cops standing up at the top of the hill, where uh, it's a very small hill, by the way you know, where the driveway to the graveyard and the walls and everything is, and so we grab our stuff and we take off running in the opposite direction. So as we're running, we get a couple blocks away, I start looking in cars for keys because you would be surprised at how many stupid people will actually leave the keys in the ignition of their vehicle while they're in the house. So we jumped in a Chevy pickup truck and it had a camper shell on the back It was just, you know, a single bench seat, you know, old-school pickup truck, probably from the late 70s, maybe early 80s. Keys are in the ignition, so we we pile in, throw our clothes in the back, and I start the truck up, and we take off. We drive up to my Uncle Jonathan's, which is in Schuyler, Virginia. And he's got a trailer there, so, you know, we pull in and everything and we go in and we start to talking and we drank a couple of beers and whatnot. I'm over there talking to Jonathan while the girls are in the living room uh, watching TV and talking. So I'm like, hey, yo, John, you know, look, man, let me stay here for the night. You know, I'm trying to hit that, you know, she going not give me that. And he's like, nah, man, I can't let you stay, dude. My dad would be mad and upset. I'm like, wait a minute, dude. He's my step-grandfather. I mean, seriously? I mean, man, look, dude, I can't let you stay here, man. It's, it, that's, just, that's just all there is. And I'm like, all right, well, screw you then, dude. I get up and like, come on, girls, let's go. So we go, we get into the truck, and I pull off, and uh, we drive down the road, and we drive up this other road, down this back road, down this dirt road, and then we go up, drive up the side of a mountain. And there's this little flat spot right there where you can just kind of pull off you know mean, we're deep deep in the country you know these are the blue ridge mountains you know kind of foothills and whatnot where i'm at and uh so we parked there and i'm like well look you know he wouldn't let us stay so we're just going to crash here so agnes she's in the passenger seat mary is in the middle and i'm driving so agnes just rolls up a coat and she leans it up against the door and uses it as a pillow, you know, to go to sleep. Me and Mary, we get out the truck, and we go around and climb in the back. And uh, our feet are pointing towards the hood of the pickup truck, and, you know, our heads are at the back near the tailgate. You know, so I'm doing my thing. I'm kissing on her. I'm fondling on her, you know, and I get her undressed, and I get undressed. And, you know, I'm... Uh, I'm a teenage boy, so I'm pretty brick at this point. And I I go and I ease up on her, and I get right on the threshold. Flesh against sweet, sweet flesh. And I'm about to cross that threshold. The moment every young boy dreams of, about to become a man. And she screams i'm like hey baby i ain't hurt you did i she said oh no not that not that at all she says look turn around and look so i turn around and look through the damn front windshield standing on the hood of the damn pickup truck in a shaft of moonlight is the biggest bobcat i've ever laid eyes on in my life i am not exaggerating that son of a bitch was the size of a mountain lion I mean, he was just looking right at us. His eyes were shining and glowing like a cat's eyes do at night in the moonlight. And I mean, he was zeroed in on it. Like he knew I was up to no damn good. So I turn around, I'm like, okay, yeah, let me, uh, let's go ahead and finish what we started. She said, oh, we can't do that. I'm like, why not? He can't get to us. She says, no, I'm scared. I'm like, oh baby, please come on. I'm right there. She says, no, get off me. And of course, you know, being a gentleman that I am, I of course get off of, her because I ain't never gonna force myself on any woman. She's so scared that we can't even get out the back of the truck to go around and get into the, you know, to the front of the truck. We have to climb through that little bitty teeny window uh, in the back window, because it had one of those little sliding windows and uh, of course we couldn't stay there. She wakes up Agnes and tells her all about it and I'm driving away and everything. And of course the damn truck runs out of gas and we get caught by the cops and we go to the detention home and I get sent right back up to Beaumont and I do not lose my virginity. Thanks to a damn Bobcat that can't mind his own business. And I have hated Bobcats with a passion ever since. Especially that big bastard right there.
3: What's new, pussycat? Cat? Whoa, 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 what's new, pussycat? Cat? Whoa. Cat. You're so thrilling, and I'm so willing to care for you. So go and make up your big little pussycat eyes. You and your pussy pussycat nose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, baby, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is... Mm, this is better than Uh, I ever imagined. uh, You're so uh, gorgeous. uh, Mm. uh, Mm. 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 uh, Do you want to go all the way? Yes. Alright. Yeah, baby. Excuse me! Ah! Excuse me! You dudes are setting a bad example.
0: Get the fuck out of here.
3: Okay, okay. I'm going, I'm out of here.
0: risk and just for the hell of it here's another version of ghost Riders in the sky a mexican one this time by los babies but before the break we heard a bit of tom jones singing about his pussy cat and then our editor taj easton getting frisky with a friend of his and then unsurprisingly bobcat goldthwaite and before that, Randall C. Vaya, who you can find on Twitter and Instagram at Red Onion Randy, and you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Risk Show. We're also at Risk Show on TikTok and Facebook. And when you find us in any of those places, at us, tag us in your tweets or your TikToks or your whatevers. <laughs> Let us know what you think of Risk or what you think of a particular story. We always love it. And send me recordings telling me what you think of Risk at, at risk showcom We love that, too, and we also love Christina Bastenfarr, Juliana Weisgarber, and Monique Ian Marino, who also joined our Patreon at the $25 or more level. Thank you so much, ladies. You are helping to keep risk running. Now, next up is a story from a recent Risk Live show in L.A. We just moved venues out there. We're now at the Lyric Hyperion. And our host in L.A., David Crabb, says it is a lovely new home for us. So go to risk-show.com live to get tickets for our August 15th show there. And now here is Kona Morris out there in L.A., with a story we call... Danced Her Did.
1: Hello, hello. I grew up in a small town in the backwoods of Northern California in a real shitty neighborhood that was perfectly situated between the projects and the trailer park. And I was always daydreaming about opportunities that my welfare-stricken, drama-mongering parents could never give me. When I was 15, I bought my first car, and as soon as I had my license, I started road tripping around the country. The summer after my junior year of high school, I went to Boston, where I rented the back balcony, yes, balcony, of an apartment in Cambridge (laughs) where a bunch of Harvard students were living for the summer. For $50 a month, it was just big enough for my sleeping bag and backpack. And I fell in love with that city. I had sushi and Indian food for the first time. I rode the subway. I went to all these concerts and plays. I got a fake ID and my first tattoo. And that summer, I learned two things. One, I was ready to be out on my own. And two, weed on the East Coast was utter shite. (laughs) Yeah. Growing up in Humboldt County, I hadn't realized how spoiled I was. Um, Not only was it some of the best on the planet, but because of my degenerate hippie father, I never even had to pay for it. And I also found out that rich Harvard kids had no problem spending $100 an eighth. That's right, which I happily sold them to help fund my summer travels. So before I had to leave to go back for my senior year, I went on this mission to find the childhood home of one of my literary heroes. E.E. Cummings, which was not so easy to do in the days before Google Maps. But I found it, and I was sitting there writing love poems to the giant tree in his front yard, and a neighbor walked by and said that Cummings had went to one of the oldest high schools in the country, which was just a few blocks away. So I walked over and was just instantly enchanted by this beautiful historic campus which basically borders Harvard Yard. I wandered inside and asked how one might go about enrolling. They gave me a packet that included the district map, instructions for submitting transcripts, and a course catalog, which I flipped through and just drooled over these classes they offered, things we could never even imagine in my small town high school, like Chinese and playwriting, AP European history, freaking syllogism, it's insane, yeah, right? So I start fantasizing about transferring there But moving across country by myself at 17 seemed impossible, so I went back to California. On the first day of my senior year of high school, I sat in class with this lump in my throat, just feeling like I had regressed backwards in time. Here, you know, I had already moved out and embraced this exciting new life, and here I was back in my shitty high school where I had already taken all the classes I wanted and most of my friends had already graduated. So I pulled out the packet from E.E. Cummings High School and I saw that it didn't start for another two weeks. So I start considering all the logistics involved and is it at all possible for me to pull this off? I had no idea, but I knew that I wanted to so damn much. And I also knew that if I didn't, I'd have to just live with this fucking regret forever. So I forced myself to stand up and walk out of class and go to the office and ask for a copy of my official transcript. Only they were not very supportive of my plan. My guidance counselor sat me down and said, Kona, if you do this, you will end up on the streets as a crack whore. I remember just being stunned by that. Like, did he really just use that fucking word? Oh, my God. Uh, and then I was so pissed. Like, where does this man get off thinking he knows anything about what I was capable of? Not only was I an honors student, but I had been class president, God damn it. Right? So, and it's not like I didn't care about school. That was the biggest reason I wanted to do it. I wanted to take those amazing classes and have access to all the prestige of Harvard. But he didn't hear any of that. No, he just tried to scare me with how certain he was that I would go fuck up the rest of my life. And it was terrifying, of course. It was the biggest decision I had ever even considered but it was also exhilarating (laughs) and I just kept thinking that all of those opportunities was worth the risk so I made him give me my transcript before I left town I went around and collected all the weed and mushrooms I could find (laughs) knowing that I could always sell it to the Harvard students to live off of until I found a job. And I packed up and I drove back to Boston. But funny that it didn't even occur to me to worry about transporting drugs across the country. And for the record, I did not consider myself a drug dealer. I was just selling little overpriced weed to Harvard students, that's all. And it's not like I had a scale or anything. I just used my finger system. That's all. (laughs) So my roommates from the summer had invited me to crash at their dorm house, um, which was the address that I gave my high school. And at first, I just stayed in their rooms sleeping on the floors until I discovered this barely used common room on the top floor where I spread out and made myself very comfortable. And I also discovered the back door into the dining hall where I had access to an unlimited supply of my childhood dream cereal, which we could never get with food stamps. Fucking Lucky Charms, baby. And I got in all the classes I wanted at my high school. I started sneaking into world-renowned lectures at Harvard, Shakespeare with Marjorie Garber, anthropology and linguistics with Irvin DeVore. I got a job at the coffee shop across the street. And on days that I wasn't working, I hung around the Harvard Primatology lab where I befriended the professor and helped out with experiments on uh, cotton-top tamarins. And I was fucking doing it, living this incredible new life, getting this phenomenal education, and everything was going swimmingly for about six weeks until I was sitting in my AP Lit class ready to talk shit on the latest Jane Austen book I was being forced to read, when my teacher handed me a note saying to report to the office. Terror erupted in my stomach. Up until that point, I had been flying perfectly under the radar, but now I had been noticed. I was so nervous that instead of going to the office, I just kept walking right off campus and straight over to my favorite hideout at E.E. Cummings House, hoping that whatever it was would just fall through the cracks and be forgotten. It was not. (laughs) The next morning, another note came, this time with an escort to walk me back to the office. I was shaking with fear when I walked in and saw the office lady standing there waiting for me. She said, Kana Maris, which was close enough for Boston. She told me there was something wrong with my paperwork because the address I had given her was for a Havad dormitory. At that time, I thought that the only thing that ever mattered was confidence. So I just smiled and said, yep, mm -hmm, that's right. Uh, And I even invited her to come by after to check out my sweet setup. But she was not having it. Oh, no. Uh, She demanded to know where my parents were. So I decided to ask a hypothetical question. Well... What happens if a student is homeless? Now, in retrospect, I definitely was, but at the time, I didn't consider myself that way. I was just using it as a word to try to gain some sympathy from her. In my mind, homeless was some dissolute state on the sidewalk, not a cozy couch with all the free cereal I could eat. So I leaned in and I said, don't homeless kids have a right to finish high school? And then in a stroke of pure con artist genius, I said, are you trying to stop me from being able to go to college? That made her pause and say, oh, it's not me, dear, it's the law and I need proof that you either emancipated or live in with a legal guardian or you cannot attend this school. Realizing she was not gonna budge, I asked when she needed it by. She said immediately, but I talked her into giving me a couple weeks until the end of the first quarter. I walked outside and All of the fear in the universe just crashed down on top of me. I had no fucking clue what I was going to do. Here, I thought I had it all figured out, and this one stupid mistake could just take everything away. Why did I give them that address? Fucking shit, fuck, this was serious. I could be kicked out of school. And then what? Be a high school dropout or have to crawl back to my guidance counselor and tell him he'd been right and was he was this the first step to becoming a crack whore <laughs> and i knew i couldn't emancipate without having to go back to california and that was a long legal process that i did not have time for So I just started frantically telling everyone I knew that I needed a house and a legal guardian or I was about to be kicked out of school. I heard from a friend that the professor who ran the lab was about to go to Africa on a research trip for a few months and that his new grad student, Corey, was going to be house and dog sitting. So I went and talked to Corey and just asked him if he'd mind if maybe I stayed there just a little bit so that I can use the address. He said that it would be fine with him, but only if I got permission from the professor and I had to make sure to do that soon because he was about to leave. It was my best and only option, so I walked down to the professor's office just trying to think of any way that I could possibly convince him. I walk inside and just start rambling about how much I loved his golden retriever and how I was really hoping that I might be able to help Corey and Walker while he was gone, but he had already caught wind of my situation. He said, "Yeah, I uh, I overheard someone saying that you're sleeping on couches at Mather House. Is that right?" So I said yes, and after just this long contemplative look at me, he asked if I would do him a favor and stay at his house while he was gone to help out Corey. Oh, would I. (laughs) A few days later, I move into this gorgeous house that is just right down the street from my high school, and one of my problems was solved but there was still the issue of the legal guardian. So I did some research, and I found out that anyone over the age of 18 could take on that role. And Corey, the grad student, and I got along pretty well. So I decided to ask him. I made us a very nice dinner, and I was just like, So, would you possibly be willing to be my legal guardian just for like five months until I turn 18 and I promised that he wouldn't have to do anything at all, it was only on paper, that was it. So he just shrugged and went, uh, sure, I guess. Which is close enough for me. So, you know, so then I have to start thinking of how to make that happen. I knew a friend of mine at Harvard had this shady lawyer father who sometimes helped people get out of tricky legal situations. So I asked him to set up a phone call. The lawyer told me that my best option was a notary public and he knew just the one. There was a woman who might be willing to exchange her services for some good Humboldt bud and mushrooms. And he would ask her and get back to me soon. So after a couple of very stressful days, I get this call that it's all set up, but only if I can show up to her house in New Hampshire that Sunday night. And it was a long drive across state lines, and I had to beg Corey to come with me. But we went and we show up to her house. It's late in the evening and she opens the door with a finger over her lips and then ushers us past this living room full of kids that are eating pizza and watching TV. We follow her up this narrow staircase into a tiny crafting room that's just lined with fabrics where she slides her sewing machine over and pulls out an old embossing seal and asked me to show her what I brought for her. (laughs) So after smelling and squeezing everything, she looks at me and goes, okay. (laughs) And then she proceeded to let me forge my mother's signature on a document which she then stamped to officially bestow legal guardianship to my 22-year-old roommate. The next morning, I brought my notarized form into the office and held my breath while the office lady looked it over, just thinking I'm gonna be so fucked if this doesn't work. Just so fucked, please work, please work, please work. She finally looks up and says, well, everything appears to be in order, but to make sure that I was really staying there, because somebody might be coming by to check on me. I walked out in total disbelief. I couldn't believe it, but the anxiety didn't go away. Even after Corey and I got our own apartment and I turned 18, I was still so nervous that they might figure out what I had done and kick me out of school. It wasn't until I had the diploma in my hand that I knew I had actually gotten away with it. The diploma from E. Cummings High School that I conned my way into as a homeless, drug-slinging teenager. But at least I never became a crack whore. You shall, above all things, be glad and young. For if you're young, whatever life you wear, it will become you. And if you are glad, whatever's living will yourself become. Girl boys may nothing more than boy girls need. I can entirely her only love whose any mystery makes every man's flesh put space on and his mind take off time. That you should ever think, may God forbid, and in his mercy, your true lover spare. For that way knowledge lies, the fetal grave called progress, and negation's dead undoom. I'd rather learn from one bird how to sing, than teach ten thousand stars how not to dance.
3: Thank you.
0: This is Thievery Corporation behind me now, and we just heard a story by Kona Morris, followed by Kona herself, reciting E.E. Cummings' poem, You Shall Above All Things Be Glad and Young, set to music by Glenn Kochi featuring Kronos Quartet, and you can find Kona on her website at konamorris.com. Folks, if you listen to Risk on Stitcher, now is the time to switch to a different platform. Stitcher is going away, but Risk is not. We're a little nervous because we know a lot of our listeners get the show through Stitcher. But they're going away, so you should subscribe to Risk on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify. Our personal favorite, the place that we listen to the show, is on the Odyssey app. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. Or, of course, there's our website at RiskTestShow.com. But one place you won't find Risk anymore is Stitcher, because Stitcher is going away so make sure to subscribe to Risk anywhere else now. And I still want to thank Joe Stern, Cassandra Spence, Paige Gardner, and Laura Zuck for more folks who also recently joined us at Patreon. It's great to be announcing more folks for that this week, and we need even more. Meanwhile, over At Patreon, we have a new story by the one and only Jerry Pratt. And it sounds a little bit like this.
2: I come in and give Bill a kiss on the head. And he says, they're trying to kill me. They're trying to kill me. And I say, oh, no, honey. No one's trying to kill you. He scowls at me and says, you're in on it too you're trying to kill me i climb on the bed and wrap my arms around him i say oh no honey no one is trying to kill you it's just your body your body's trying to let go
0: and there's so much more to be found at patreon.com risk We need as many of you as possible to be helping us get through this financial squeeze we're in this summer. Even if you're already a member at Patreon, you can up the amount of your donation. That would help too. If you want to make a one-time donation, you can do that at paypal.me slash risk show. And some folks just email me at at kevinatrisk-show.com for their own way of donating. Like this week, one of Risk's biggest fans, Sherry Pacell, emailed me and said, Kevin, I was listening to this week's Risk and somehow it switched over to my music and started playing If I Loved You from Rogers and Hammerstein's Carousel, which made me wish it was you singing it. So I would pay you $250. If you sing If I Loved You to me. But you don't have to sing the whole song. Well, I'll tell you what. You bet your ass I'll do that, Sherry. Hit it, karaoke version from YouTube. If I loved
3: you, Sherry Pazelle, time and again, I would try to sing, oh you to know. If I loved you, Sherry, words wouldn't come in an easy way round tell you but afraid and shy I'd let my golden chances pass me by soon you'd leave me off you would go in the mist of day sherry Never, never to know.
0: All you need to know about me is that I didn't have to look up the lyrics or rehearse that. <laughs> that was just clicking and play and, and going from memory. That and the fact that even as I was being completely ridiculously silly while singing it, I, I managed to get, to also get emotional... As well, because of my own romantic year that I've had, I was like, okay, don't don't start crying (laughs) while acting like a lunatic. Anyway, the point is, folks, please send us money, even if you want us to do kinky shit like that. (laughs) You, You can always reach me at Kevin at risk-show.com.
2: We'll be right back. We're back.
0: Folks, sometimes on Thursdays, we're going to be running episodes we call Funny Stuff you know all-time classic funny stories where you know you can share these episodes with friends as just lighthearted stuff we're gonna revisit ad miles
1: i'm talking about quarts of diarrhea
2: <laughs> filled my shorts
0: and t.s madison he
3: took a he took a he took a he took a, he, he took a good dick out of this
0: world And if you recognize those clips, you know you're in for a good time. But that's Thursday. And folks, today's the day. Take a risk.
4: Anyone lived in a pretty how town With up so floating many bells down Spring, summer, autumn, winter He sang his didn't He danced his did Women and men, both little and small Cared for anyone, not at all They sowed their isn't, they reaped their same, sun, moon, stars, rain. Children guessed, but only a few, and down they forgot as up they grew, autumn, winter, spring, summer, that no one loved him more by more. When by now and tree by leaf, she laughed his joy, she cried his grief. Bird by snow, and stir by still, Anyone's any was all to her. Someone's married their everyones, Laughed their cryings, and did their dance, Sleep, wake, hope, And then they said their nevers, They slept their dream. Stars, rain, sun, moon, And only the snow can begin to explain How children are apt to forget to remember. With up so floating many bells down, One day anyone died, I guess, and no one stooped to kiss his face. Busy folk buried them side by side, little by little, and was by was. All by all, and deep by deep, and more by more, they dream their sleep. No one and anyone Earth by April Wish by Spirit And if by Yes Women and men Both dawn and dim, Summer Autumn Winter spring, reaped their sowing, and went their cane, sun, moon, stars, rain.